Welcome, and thank you for joining us for today's CME podcast. PrimeMed podcasts are dedicated to providing on-the-go clinicians with pertinent, evidence-based primary care content that won't take too much time out of your busy schedule. Information about CME credits and faculty for today's podcast can be found within this activity's landing page on primemed.com podcast. Be sure to also go to this location in order to claim your CME credits after the program. Thank you and enjoy. Hello. The topic for discussion is the role of naloxone in the emergency treatment of opiate overdose. I am Oscar de Leon Casasola. I'm the professor. I'm a professor of uh, anesthesiology and medicine at uh, the University at Buffalo School of Medicine, the Jacobs School of Medicine at, uh, at Buffalo. And uh, I'm also the chief of the Division of Pain Medicine at the Roswell Park Cancer Institute. The objectives tonight are to present the prevalence of opioid overdose and deaths. Number two, to define the groups of patients who are receiving opioid therapy and are at the highest risk for respiratory depression and death, to present the use of naloxone as an alternative for the treatment of this problem and the mechanism of action, and uh, to detail the presentation of naloxone that are currently approved for community administration. And finally, suggest a standardized naloxone program in a primary care practice. So it's in discussing the risk of opioid overdose, it's important to recognize that nearly 70% of drug overdoses involve opiates. Uh, it has been uh, demonstrated by the Center of Disease Control and Prevention that uh, about 14 deaths per 100,000 individuals will occur associated uh, to uh, opioid utilization. To put this in perspective, COVID deaths as of May 24 of 2020 were uh, 29. So it is critically important to recognize the prevalence of this problem in our society. It is also critical to recognize that nearly 90% of opioid-related deaths were unintentional. And uh, this just highlights the importance of education in this area. Also, we know that prescription opiates may extend into unintended use. We know now that about 55% of uh, individuals receiving an opiate um, and who use uh, a non-medical uh, opiate for um, pain relief receive this drug by a friend or a relative for free. So education, again, in this regard is very important. When we find out where do opioid emergencies occur, then uh, we know that uh, this education on recognizing the signs of respiratory depression is critically important. We know that 77% of opioid, opioid overdoses as of 2020 occur outside of medical facilities. So education of the public in recognizing a uh, situation like this is critically important in order to improve survival of this population. So that begs the question, who is at risk for an opioid overdose? And we have 
FERSA line, those patients receiving opiates, obviously. The dose is important in this regard, and we know now that those receiving doses of 50 milligram morphine equivalents per day are at a, particu at a particular risk of experiencing an opiate overdose. The concomitant use of benzodiazepines is extremely important too. Uh, CDC data shows that a third of individuals who died of an opiate overdose also had a benzodiazepine in their system. Respiratory conditions such as COPD and sleep apnea have also been associated with this problem. And uh, non-opiate substance use disorders is also a uh, risk factor for an opiate overdose. Excessive alcohol use has also been recognized uh, as a uh, risk factor. CDC data, again, shows that one in five individuals, 20%, who died of an opiate overdose had alcohol in their system. And mental health disorders are also associated with these uh, individuals. So uh, critically important to recognize these uh, six risk factors in order to implement uh, a um, prevention control in the treatment of the, these patients. Uh, let me dive into uh, this information a little more. Uh, as far as um, the MMEs, that is the milligram morphine equivalents per day, uh, there are studies that uh, were published in 2011 by Gomez that showed that when a patient climbs to a dose of 50 to 99 milligram morphine equivalents per day, the risk of an overdose uh, is double when compared to those receiving doses of 20 to 49 milligrams, where the risk was about 1.32. Not zero, but still significantly lower than uh, those receiving these high doses. Uh, just to put this uh, MME concept in perspective, if you give a patient a prescription for hydrocodone, 7.5 milligrams, Q4 to 6 hours, that will be about 45 MMEs. If you give a patient a prescription for fentanyl transdermal, 25 micrograms an hour, that will be about 60 MMEs. Same thing with hydrocodone, 10 milligrams, Q4 to 6 hours. If you increase the dose of oxycodone to 10 milligrams, Q4 to 6 hours, that will be about 90 MMEs. And a dose of methadone, 20 milligrams a day, will be equivalent to 80 MMEs. So you can see that even doses that we consider uh, normal uh, for patients receiving pain therapy uh, may create a risk factor uh, for this uh, population. Regarding uh, concurrent benzodiazepines and opioid use, it is really striking that over 13 million patients are co-prescribed uh, these two medications every year. The numbers are truly startling. There is a five, five times increase in the risk of opiate-related overdose during the first 90 days of therapy. 40% increase in the concurrent use over the last 12 years of these two drugs, and nearly one in three opiate overdose deaths are attributed to this combination, as I discussed to you before. So what are the signs and symptoms of opiate overdose? 
First of all, there is meiosis, pinpoint pupils. So this is a very reliable sign and uh, something that we need to teach uh, the relatives of the patients and uh, the lay public. Uh, increased somnolence leading to unresponsiveness is another uh, sign of an opioid overdose. Cold and clammy skin, vomiting or gurgling noises, and respiratory depression defined as a rate of less than 10 breaths per minute. And of course, uh, uh, acrocyanosis can also be present in some, uh, some individuals when uh, uh, reaching the end point of this stage. So how does naloxone can be an uh, alternative treatment uh, for these patients? Naloxone is a competitive mu receptor antagonist that is used to reverse an opioid overdose. It blocks the opioid receptor sites, displacing the opioid from this receptor and removing the biological effect. So as a result of that, it can reverse all signs of opioid toxicity. A single dose may achieve transient effects due to the duration of action of naloxone, which is 20 to 90 minutes. And uh, this actually underlines the, uh, the need for these patients to uh, be watched after the administration and be taken to a uh, emergency facility for uh, ulterior care. There are uh, two naloxone formulations that have been approved for community use. The first one is the naloxone nasal spray. It is available in two strengths, two milligrams in 0.1 milliliter and four milligrams in 0.1 milliliter. And uh, it is recommended that a single spray into one nostril may be used every two to three minutes until emergency medical assistance arrives. As far as the auto injector, it has a, uh, a strength of two milligrams in 0.4 milliliters. It is again FDA approved for community use and it is injected into the anterolateral aspect of the thigh uh, through clothing if necessary. Again, it may be given every two to three minutes until emergency medical assistance arrives. So we have two choices uh, for this purpose. Pharmacokinetically speaking, naloxone nasal spray is uh, significantly more effective at a dose of both two milligrams sprays in one nostril or four milligrams uh, sprays in one nostril uh, than uh, a uh, dose of 0.4 milligrams uh, intramuscular injection. So the bioavailability is significant. And as far as the auto injector, uh, we have that uh, the same is true, a two milligram per 0.4 milliliter uh, results in higher plasma concentrations of naloxone when compared to uh, an intramuscular injection. This has led to the Surgeon General uh, to call for heightened awareness and availability for uh, naloxone. And uh, its utilization has been encouraged uh, by both federal government agencies and professional organizations. So how do we approach a patient uh, in whom we know there may be an increase of an opioid, uh, increased risk of an opioid overdose, but yet needs opioid therapy? Well, first of all, we need to educate the patients and their relatives uh, on uh, the risk of opioid um, 
overdoses in a non-judgmental, empowering way. Number two, we suggest avoiding the term overdose and use significant side effects in this regard or worst case scenario uh, um, situation when uh, uh, you have a risk factors in this population. And then, uh, you know, number four, leverage the discussion to train patients and their caregivers or relatives who may administer the naloxone at home. There is a, a significant amount of uh, publications that um, can be utilized to uh, uh, facilitate the uh, standardized education. Uh, there is a harm reduction coalition um, a literature available, and uh, there's also uh, literature provided by uh, uh, the two manufacturers of uh, the community approved naloxone presentations for its use. So in summary, the opioid epidemic has reached crisis levels in the United States and all stakeholders are being asked to get involved. Naloxone is widely recognized as a key component in reducing the risk of deaths from opioid uh, overdose and the community has to be educated in this regard. The Department of Health and Human Services and uh, the CDC recommends, among other things, consideration of the co-prescribing of naloxone for patients receiving doses equal or greater than 50 MMEs per day, concomitant benzodiazepine therapy, and those with a history of substance misuse. Naloxone, I have to be clear, is not a substitute for emergency medical care and repeated doses may be necessary until the patient reaches an emergency room. Thank you so very much. We thank you again for joining PrimeMed for today's podcast. Remember to claim your CME credits for the program on this activity's landing page on primed.com podcast. Also be sure to check out all of our other podcasts and primary care activities on primed.com as well. See you next time.